Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome, everyone, to Rock M Radio. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. Dive Cuts. Uh, we've been here for seven seasons now, and of course, we're here to talk about your Missouri basketball Tigers. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, there is a subscribe button uh, down below our screen here. Please press it. Uh, also, there's a like button. Uh, smash that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're listening on the podcast, I hope you're subscribed there, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Uh, with me over here on the <laughs> on your right, my my left is uh, is Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, happy holidays, post holidays. <laughs> happy holidays to you. Um, man, I don't know how long it's been since I've been on the pod. I think it was like pre uh, Seton Hall was the last time I was here. So it's yeah, been we uh, it's been a hiatus, we, bordering on a hiatus, I should say. Yeah, I was trying to remember because um, we were supposed to record last week, and I just sort of punted. Um, <laughs> there was like so much going on, just with... like they did in the bowl game. We all <laughs> well, yeah. So like there was so much going on with like pre bowl game coverage. There was Mizzou was Portal. coming off a really horrible loss. Uh, we were preparing to play a, an opponent they should absolutely blow the doors off of. So it was like do we really need to podcast, you know, with like the holidays? And, uh, and I think, I think we sort of came to a decision that, you know what, we don't, we don't need to talk this week. Let's just take the the week off. So yeah, we haven't, we haven't podcasted at all since uh, before Bragging Rights, at least we as a dive cuts podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, I guess we probably need to rip the bandaid off a little bit of the, uh, <laughs> the Bragging Rights game. There's been some, you know, further developments which have, uh, you know, maybe don't concern us. Don't <laughs> yeah. concern us. Uh, Change the way people have certainly looked at Illinois' hot start. Um, oh, they beat yeah, the crap out, out of afterwards. That, yeah, Terrence Shannon is. Uh, yeah, they did throttle Northwestern, um, but Terrence Shannon is is suspended from the Illinois men's basketball program after you know dropping thirty something points and almost single-handedly annihilating Missouri off the floor in St. Louis uh, because of a rape, rape accusation. Um, so, formal charges. Formal charges. Yeah, like I, I don't want to uh, make light of that situation. I don't want to, nope. you know, uh, I think there's a lot of people who I've probably 
made jokes about the the timing of it as uh, it relates to uh, Shannon um, putting the hurt on the our Tigers in St. Louis. Um, so basically, we're just going to move past <laughs> that discussion. It's uh, it's ho- horrible uh, if if it ends up like he ends up being convicted. That's awful. Um, for a there lot are of Illinois podcasts, if you want that content, there. Yeah, there's champagne. But we will we will talk others. about the game a little bit. Um, Missouri uh, shot that. the ball really poorly. Uh, they did not defend the ball very well at all. Uh, uh-uh. The transition defense was pretty poor, and all the things that we kind of thought they might need to do in order to win the game, they 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 didn't do. Um, so Zero. that's how you that's how you take a twenty what was it 23, 24, 24 point loss twenty four point loss. Um, so three years in a row we've had we've had blowouts. At this it's, point, I just I just want a competitive game. You know, last year was fun, but I mean. Yeah, but maybe not all that much drama. I don't know. It's uh, just semi-competitive basketball games. That's what I grew up watching in this rivalry and gave it some salience was two competent teams that had built rosters that could duel for 40 minutes and at least make you halfway interested at the under-16 timeout in the second half. Uh, We haven't had that for a while. I'd like that to resume again. Uh, sometime soon uh it was like if you asked me what the worst case scenario was i'm pretty sure the first five minutes of that basketball game summed it up you know missouri got open shots by guys who probably aren't the guys you want shooting them they were jumpers those jumpers turn into long rebounds which turn into terrence shannon steaming up the floor which turn into you like trying to build a wall but terrence shannon's already to the free throw line so that's kind of immaterial if you do stop him there's some guy running to the deep corner opposite to spot up it's just you know we you know in the preseason we made light of illinois not having a point guard well you don't need one when the rebounds are letting you launch onto secondary breaks and it's just really your best dude steaming to the rim uh it was brutal you know missouri well, and also your best dude you know going very hard to his strong hand, hand like i think like time. that's that's one of the things that has sort of you know bothered me when when you know missouri has done some of its full court, full court pickups and uh, they don't they don't weak a guy at all they don't yeah they, they don't they don't push him to his weak hand and it's just like well like even against like kansas and i, I you know like i remember like aiden shaw going up to pressure kj adams and just letting him go right like what hand do you think that guy wants to dribble with most bad ball handlers can pound the ball with their right hand like if you're right-handed right so if, yeah. if like if you put like connor vanover ask him to bring the ball up and you let him dribble with his right hand he'd probably be okay I mean, as long as he's defended by like another big guy, <laughs> but, right? But like, like that's kind of the exchange here is is you're allowing guys to dribble with their dominant hand, and you're not, you know, forcing them to make any decisions. All they have to do is go forward. Yeah, that's going to end badly. It it ended badly. Missouri had a shot between like the 15 minute and the 12 minute mark where they were getting some stops, and they were getting down the floor, and then they just couldn't make shots yeah illinois was not like on fire uh, no there was a chance for them to, to to dig in they got it to 14-9 i think they i think i wrote about it you know it was 17-9 actually and i think i wrote about it in the aiden shaw piece a couple weeks ago like they get they're down 17-9 but they come down they break some token pressure they kick ahead and it's shaw open in the corner and if he drives it and tries to you know put a foul on coleman hawkins you know, you're in that ball game. He misses a jumper. Illinois comes down, buries a three. You know, all of a sudden it's, you know, an 11-point ball game. You're calling timeout. You're trying to stop it. And they just could not find a way to get an extended two- to three-minute period of quality offense to cool Illinois down. You know, I, I'm not surprised Illinois came out of the gates fast. They were embarrassed last year. 
I think they clearly had a little bit more of an edge going into this game. More of the guys who were in that beatdown last year were still on the roster. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't inconceivable that Illinois was going to come out and really roll in the first four minutes of that ball game. Well, also, like in a reverse of of last year, like you know, Kobe went off last year, and Kobe was you know, on the Missouri roster for the beatdown the year before. Yeah, you know, and so like the best player in the game. You know, last it's year pissed off from getting the ass kicked. Yeah, before. and now it's it's basically Illinois' turn. You know, and and Shannon was 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 awesome. really terrific. Like he did everything that you, you know, kind of thought he could do. Uh, and you know, to his credit, he got to his spots. Uh, I, if you want to ding Missouri, they certainly allowed him to get to his spots with not a lot of uh, pushback. No, but I think what we're both saying is like there was a moment maybe about five or six minutes in where Missouri could have dug its heels in, grinded out a couple of buckets and really, you know, calmed things a little bit and they just couldn't do it. And Illinois, once Illinois got that thing to 11, you know, then push it out to 15, we've watched this team, you know, try and save some face. They've done it, you know, against Minnesota, you know, they rallied back against you know, Seton Hall, but both neither of those teams are of the caliber that Illinois is and had sort of the depth, at least in the first five that Illinois has. And Missouri just couldn't make enough shots to, to sustain it enough. And, you know, I thought they figured out some things in the second half to kind of try and, you know, get a little bit of rhythm, but then Illinois would get right back to just pounding them and eating them alive in transition. It was, just, you know, it was pretty much an all systems kind of failure in, in a lot of ways there. Um, and I, I just don't know what you really take out of that game outside of, you know, to me, it's a burn the tape type of game. I don't know what you draw from that, you know, reviewing that really heavily other than, you know, we were terrible, you know, in transition defense. They got stuck over helping again. Like there were some really fundamental breakdowns that you don't need tape to address. You know, you've coached those points long enough that I think you can, you know, kind of expend minimal effort, really just, you know, having grisly autopsies of film. I think that that was a pretty quick review there. But then they got a week off and then they got the most get right type of situation in the world. A sub 330 team in Kimpom, <laughs> an empty gym. Which, you know, like this year hasn't always gone according to plan. Um, and certainly uh, early, you know, Missouri wasn't putting the distance between them and Central Arkansas right away, but they did, uh, you know, and and a, a nice little run there. And I think towards the end of the first half yeah. uh, was what kind of gave them some distance. And then they just sort of doubled that. Uh, distance pretty yeah. quickly at the start of the second half. And uh, that game was, I mean, largely uncompetitive. But there, I mean, there were certainly things that, um, you know, I think the both of us, uh, it, or even the three of us, if you want to include uh, the other uh, co-host who shows up sometimes, Matt Watkins, and and wanting to see kind of a, a larger role for Tamar Bates. Um, you know, like you have guys who are, doing really nice things on offense. Uh, that includes Sean East. It really includes uh, Tamar Bates. And you want to see those guys take more shots. And, like, there have been games where Tamar Bates has barely shot the ball five times. And, you know, like, I realize there's there is always going to be a learning curve when you're kind of coming into a new system. Um, you know, for, for him especially, coming from a, a, a style of play that where he was basically asked to – defer in most offensive situations uh to a situation right now you know with with missouri having both caleb grill and and um john tanji just not playing um you know like like tamar is really the only newcomer that could offer you any kind of hope uh offensively yeah um so he needs to and hopefully is like hopefully that's a trend Yes, yeah. I, I think it could be. Yeah, I, I, I think the one thing that I give them a little bit of leeway on in the UCA game was you really have to go back and look at the lineup kind of sub pattern that they were using. 
you know, we've talked about, you know, maybe they need to break up Honor and East a little bit. You know, we've, you know, we've talked about it on the pod here. We've written about different ways. Defenses target them in switches, different kinds of switches, but they get targeted because they're smaller guards. Um, and, you know, they can be a liability sometimes in those switch situations. So it's like, okay, do we need those two together as much? You know, especially when it seems like increasingly they're really overlapping each other in terms of what they're trying to do offensively. You're not getting sort of that nice diversity, you know, in terms of skill set. Well, Missouri spent a lot more time in the first half pairing Robinson and Robinson with either one of honor or East. You know, we've talked about, you know, is there a need maybe to try and, you know, see a little bit about, you know, what maybe like a guy like Kurt Lewis could do, you know, if you're not going to have other sources of offense, you got to be able to evaluate him. There were stretches where it was honor Robinson and Lewis together. And when UCA made its push, that was the backcourt on the floor. So there were some moments I thought where Missouri was clearly trying different things with the rotation in the first half that were sort of overlapping those periods. I think where UCA was getting some traction and, that's not a surprise to me that that happened. But, you know, you look at when UCA cut the lead down and went on an 8-2 run. The, this is the lineup on the floor. Honor, Robinson, Lewis, Shaw, Carter. Is that the lineup that you think is going to position you for success? Probably not, but you're getting, in, you're getting to evaluate, you know, Robinson alongside Honor. You're getting, you know, a cameo for Lewis. Shaw and Carter, you know, are you know guys that I think that they want to see together in terms of the four and five? They've done that in a starting lineup, so I think there were just long stretches on Saturday where they were like, "Oh right, we we've tried some things with our sub pattern. Let's really expand, you know, the viewfinder here and see what we have." But when they absolutely needed to get distance, they went with guys on the floor they knew could produce for them, and that was what happened in the second half. So it's I'm willing to give a bit of a mulligan given that they were trying some different things with the sub pattern and the rotation and, you know, giving a longer look to a guy like Lewis, who what other game are you really going to want to give a Juco guy who's been 10th in your rotation, some extended runway to show you what he has, you know, and they did that in garbage time in the second half midway through about the same period. So uh, in the moment, I think it's kind of frustrating, but then when you go back and kind of look at it in hindsight and really see and aggregate the rotation and the pattern they were using it, it kind of makes sense. So I think that takes a little bit of ire out of the analysis or frustration out of it, at least from my seat, but I don't know how you feel. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No, I mean, I think I think you knew coming off the, the previous three games that that there were going to be 
some changes. And, uh, you know, like we talked about, I think before going into those games, like you had to go one and two. And if you could find a way to go two and one in that three game stretch, then all the better. And they went 0 and three, which, uh, I, you know, like you're, you're really up against the wall. And, and so there's, there's, there's virtually no wiggle room for this team. Uh, if you have any hope whatsoever left of them playing, it's gone. The there, there, it, there is no flex left. Right. In the rope. And it, yeah. And so I think like, you know, you and I are like, we're, you know, you kind of look at the, the layout and the numbers and we're kind of like, eh, like realistically, what is this team and, and what are the odds they're going to, you know, play in the display tournament and less than 5% it's not great right so it's just like you know like all right you know you get to conference play whatever like we'll we'll see what happens you know but this definitely feels you know more like uh you know like season two of you know Konzo and uh you know and and all that where you know they they were decent they were competitive uh for the most part um like you kind of like before we came on equated, you know, Sean East, like really having a nice year to basically being this year's Jordan Geist. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels you can draw to that for, um, you know, because the reality is, is like when you have a team that struggles to score, which Conzo's second team did uh, because they foresaw all, all this offense kind of running through Jonte Porter and then Jonte wasn't there. And so like the same thing with, you know, with this team is I feel like they, they foresaw their offense running it a certain way. And like the two big cogs that they thought they were going to be able to plug we're in. are going to be starters. Yeah. yeah. They're so, on par. If you look at their projected, like win, their value in terms of wins, they're basically 80% of what John Tay was forecast to be. So imagine that's the situation you're in. Yeah. These two guys being out are 80% or 85% of what Jonte was going to be. And if you had told people in year two of cons that you're not going to have Jonte Porter, people would not have expected this. So I think that that's the hard part here is, you know, this team, you know, I'll have a piece tomorrow kind of looking at what they got to do moving forward. I think I always encourage, we always encourage people to look a field and look at, you know, kind of the broader picture. Most outlets have Missouri between seventh and 10th in the preseason. We had them sixth. You know, we always seem to slot them, unsurprisingly, uh, maybe a spot higher than the consensus. But if you had said to people in the preseason that were picking the SEC, Missouri's not going to have Caleb Grill or John Tanji. Where do you think they're going to finish? Most probably would have said, eh, 10th, 11th, 12th. <laughs> what are they doing? Where are they sitting right now in terms of, you know, their analytic rankings compared to the rest of the SEC? Where are they sitting, you know, at least right now, probably in the standings like i i don't think I, it's frustrating I, i'm that's not to discount people's frustration you know with what they're seeing you know that's natural but i don't think it's surprising when you understand the circumstances around it now the question for them is you know and we can talk about this and use it to pivot into you know what we think about the sec as we get ready to start this week but the one thing that's working in their favor is their schedule is not bad the first couple of weeks you know, there's a trip to Kentucky. That's not going to be great, or it could be ugly, you know. But other than that, there is, you know, the trip to Tuscaloosa. I don't think of Tuscaloosa as like a crazy, intimidating environment to go into. I still think Bama struggles a little bit defensively at times, you know. Well, and like even a couple of years ago and in, in Zoe's worst team, like they were competitive in Tuscaloosa. Right. So, they're going to go to Texas A&M as well. Like that's not a hot house necessarily. So they're, they're not, you know, going into Auburn in week one. They're not going to Fayetteville in week two, mm-hmm. you know, Rupp is tough, but even like if you've even been to a game in Rupp, there are long stretches where Rupp is pretty placid. So yeah. like they get Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, South Carolina, you know, in the next 21 days, Florida at home. There's a way you can get to three or four conference wins early. And now is that going to get you on the NCAA tournament bubble? Are we going to sit here on January 27th and go, oh man, they've revived hopes. 
No, but if you're four and four or four and three in late January, you can at least look at, you know, the final month and go, all right, we're, we're back to full strength. Maybe we can make a push to get to seventh or eighth in the standings. That's not going to get right. us in the tournament, but it's going to get us an NIT bid. Like, yeah. I think that that's realistically what the hope is now to stabilize enough to give yourself an opportunity to play for an NIT bid, you know, in that's not going to sound great to some people, but I think that's just probably the most realistic outlook as you sit here on January 3rd at this point is to play well enough to maybe keep an NIT bid on the table. That's um, I did want to point out, I realize there may be some people who noticed I'm wearing like this shirt with the state of Kentucky on it and it's blue. Um, this is not a University of Kentucky shirt. If you can't read it, it says bourbon, y'all. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm no. surprised. Uh, it is a Heaven Hill shirt. Um, it is a Heaven for anybody shirt. that is on the Bourbon Trail at some point. Um, you can stop by the Heaven Hill Distillery and probably pick up the same T-shirt. Um, but yeah, it's not. It's not a Wildcat shirt. Uh, so so let's kind of look ahead a little bit here. Um, I don't really know, like, if there's much more we need to talk about. Uh, no, we're going to know in the next couple weeks. What Are there team... any more points? That you, yeah, any more points no. you want to make on on them? No, I, 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 I think, you know, I'll have a piece tomorrow kind of running through it. People should read it, but I think we're going to know in the next two weeks what this team is. And then I think in the third week of January, if things have gone sideways, we can revisit it and decide or discuss. We can't decide. We don't have, we don't sit in the room and make decisions for them, but, you know, weigh the merits of do they need to start taking a little bit more forward you know, thinking outlook on managing this rotation, you know, if, but we'll, we'll wait. <laughs> That's pessimistic to even kind of hint at right now. We'll wait and see where they are in a couple of weeks, but I, I think we're going to have a pretty good diagnosis of this team, you know, in the first couple of weeks of the SEC schedule. Well, yeah. So over the next four games, they are expected per Ken Pomeroy to win two of those games. Um, the others are at Kentucky and at Alabama, uh, and then another uh, following up with another uh, home game against Florida. Um, I feel like you can't lose to Georgia. Nope. And have really, because I think at this point, like I'm most interested to see if if they can do enough to sort of stay out of playing on Wednesday. Yeah. Um. Because I, you know, I think if you can, if you can finish the way things have gone, uh, ninth, you know, or eighth, uh, which is always possible the way that things happen in the SEC. You make your your home palace a really difficult place to uh, to play in, um, and then you win a couple you're not supposed to on the road, and certainly Missouri. Uh, has been in worse road environments uh, and they, you know, they beat uh, Minnesota on the road. Um, granted Minnesota's, oh, they're at 83rd in Kennebunk. That's not horrible. Um, but so, so those are the kinds of like, you know, road environments, you know, you, you're not going to be overly intimidated by if you've already, you know, played pretty well. Uh, you know, at a place like Fog Allen. Like, I don't yeah. I don't think there's any place, you know, outside of maybe Fayetteville, uh, Auburn, like you mentioned, um, that are as intimidating as, as playing in, in Fog Allen. Uh, and Missouri for the, really played pretty well there. So yeah. um, I think you have to feel confident that you can go to, you know, you can go to Ole Miss. Uh, you can certainly go to Vanderbilt. Uh, you can go to, and you know, I think your, your point, like I've always felt like Kentucky had a very kind of like pro, like atmosphere, like a regular season NBA basketball game. Like you go and it's the, you know, the home team goes on a run, the crowd will kind of get revved up. But for the most part, you know, like majority of the noise that you get is from, you know, the, the in-house DJ or, you know, whatever promotions they're running. (laughs) Yeah. I know like you, you and I both watch league pass. So we see the, uh, you know, the, 
you know, the league pass in between uh, action things it's that happen. Than the commercials, man. It's better than the commercials. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Sometimes they do some really funny stuff, but like the majority of it is, is manufactured. Um, you know, and I think, I feel like Rupp is, is like that a lot. So I, you know, I, I feel like you can go in there. Kentucky is a young team. Uh, they have been very up and down, um, you know, and, and, you know, Cal's teams have, have been, uh, although I will say like, I think, I think Kentucky's had some really nice moments this year, but they've typically been stronger the longer the year goes on. Yeah. Um, and so like, I f- kind of feel like that's an opportunity. Um, yeah. I mean, South Carolina was bad and walked in there and got a win last year. Vanderbilt went in and got a win last year. I mean, it's there. It's not inconceivable given how the that roster set up that maybe you catch them on a bad day. UNC Wilmington went and got a win this year, so it's it's not unheard of. I, I think the bigger game for me is that Florida game in Columbia on January twenty. That is still a forty percent, you know, expected win probability for Missouri. It's always floated between forty and fifty-two percent. Like that's always sort of settled in that toss-up range. That's the kind of game that if you want to try and assure yourself of getting to eighth or ninth, you need to pick off that game at home. That those are the kinds of games that I think you look at and say, okay, we can get a pickup opportunity here. You know, maybe Caleb Grill is close to coming back. You're starting. Tamar Bates has started to play with a little bit more juice. You're getting some confidence there and you're able to find a way to get a win there. The, you know, to me, I think the biggest thing you've got to look at is they are 92nd in, in Kim Palm as of today, Wednesday, January 3rd. The only, these are the teams in front of them immediately. South Carolina is ninth in the SEC at 60th in Kim Palm. It's not egregious. Ole Miss is in front of them at 80th. George is in front of them at 86th. LSU is behind them at 104th, and then Vandy is 209th. Missouri plays seven games against those five teams. If you want to get to eighth or ninth, you probably need to go five and two in those games. Like you got to win your home games. In the you know you probably got to you probably got to steal road wins at LSU and Vandy to feel good about getting out of the bottom because I think usually teams that finish the play on Wednesday have six or seven wins is usually the cutoff. If you can get five wins against teams around you in the bottom of the standings, you should be able to steal two or three somewhere else to get out of Wednesday. So like we say every year, everyone looks at who you got to beat in front of you. A lot of what the SEC comes down to is, do you handle business at home and do you beat teams that you should beat that are behind you in the standings? It's, you know, that's not revolutionary to say it's not crazy, but that's really a lot of what, success in this league is, or at least getting to the middle of the pack is just handling your business, protecting your home floor, you know, beating weaker teams on their home floor. Like that's, can, that's really all it is. Uh, we can almost uh, call it the, uh, um, the Mark Stoops rule. Yeah. Yeah. Like Kentucky football always beats teams that are worse than them. Never beats teams that are better than them. Um. And so, like, they're always pretty good every year. They're pretty good. Um, and, you know, I think, like, they're, you're always going to take an unexpected loss. Um, no team is kind of immune from, a, you know, a, a, an unexpected loss. At least, you know, there's always every other year or something like that, there's always a team that kind of, goes on a big run and they only get taken down by, you know, somebody really good on the road. Um, you know, but there's, there's usually a lot of, you know, like middle of the pack, uh, you know, the difference between playing, you know, being the top seed on, on Wednesday and being the, uh, the four seed, you know, was, was like four results. Uh, last year so you know and and if you're kind of looking at it from that perspective it's like okay like these are the games that you don't if you can snip off a game and and uh you know and beat uh you know a one or a two seed hey great like let's let's take that but you know missouri didn't really do that last year you know they beat tennessee on the road 
Um, Tennessee, you know, was they picked off uh, Kentucky uh, at home. Like they got well, Kentucky early at and at home, Missouri got them. So yeah. like those were really the two games they flipped if you look at it. And yeah, and then everything else, like you know, they got swept by Texas A and M. You lost at Arkansas, went at, went at home against Arkansas, split with Mississippi State. So yeah, like it's it's funny how like you make it or we're making it sound uh, kind of unexciting, you know. But you're you're going to play eighteen basketball games against all these teams. And these are teams and coaches that you face every year. Everybody knows everybody. And so like even going on the road and playing at Vanderbilt is difficult because that's a good coaching staff. Uh, they're having a tough year. So yes, you should win. But even if you do win, it's probably going to be a close game. Like if you can get out of there with like a 74 to 68 kind of win, Hey, great. It's dub. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Uh, and I think like when you talk about winning on the road, especially in league play, you have to be able to uh, be really, really happy with any kind of win and then try to win as many as at home. And I think like yeah. that's basically, you know, Missouri is in a, in a situation this year where the expectations are um, middling enough. Like I still think there's a lot of fans who think like, you know, they can, maybe exceed expectations and challenge. But for the most part, we're all just like, look, this is, this is looking like it's uh, at best an NIT season. Um, and even if they don't kind of make it there, like I still think like you can get a lot of progress made this season with, with, you know, a lot of the guys that they have on the roster that you're wanting to bring back. And so like, how do we approach this, uh, you know, this season? Well, it's like you're saying, like we've got, a really important probably two or three week period where you start to kind of learn like you can't you can't kind of come out of this like two and six no like the the way i would sort of i ignore and that'll sound weird i ignore you know the results of like going to rup going to t-town like to me the games i put a lot of stock in are georgia the two south carolina games the trip to Vanderbilt and Arkansas at home. Those are all teams sitting lower than 58th in Kimpom. And the Arkansas game is at home. There's a world where you could be five and four leaving Nashville on February 3rd. Now that's not going to get people excited, but you look at the home stretch, you have a trip to Ole Miss who's 80th. You know, you get, Mississippi at home again and you get LSU again, you know, there's a way in which if you're five and four, you can start to think, okay, we're at least, if we just are competent down the stretch, we're not going to wind up in that, you know, playing on Wednesday. We're going to be able to keep our guys competitive enough and focused enough playing for the postseason for an NIT bid. And we can still kind of integrate our young guys and a guy like Tamar Bates, who we want to keep around, in such a way that, you know, we're able to develop them like that to me is where I think you want to be, you know, if anything other than anything more than that is awesome. And if, you know, say they start seven and two and we have to talk about them suddenly reviving their bubble opportunity, I'm not going to be like, Oh darn, we have to, we have to reassess, but if they're five and four or maybe even like four and five on February 3rd, I think you can at least say, okay, they're tracking towards avoiding Wednesday. They're tracking towards the NIT. They can still, you know, have some vets engaged for getting one last postseason trip. They can still give these young guys some meaningful games with some stakes behind it. It's, I, I think it's like you're saying, you don't want to go two and seven though, and just have everybody going, "Crap, we got four more weeks of this." Yeah. Like I just think. You know, we talk about culture and you know what it means to have a program. You know that where, that's healthy. You know, making it so that you have some stakes, even if they're not the ones you maybe dreamt about in October, are there. But at least having something tangible, something out there in front of you that can keep guys engaged, focused, you know, bought in, that matters. And so I think that's what the next couple of weeks are about. Here is can they play well enough to keep some stakes involved here for them? outside of just playing for pride 
and outside of the staff just feeling like, okay, we've really got to preserve a good environment for our young guys to feel like they're still getting some development. Because we're going to start hit, seeing young guys hitting walls probably in about four or five weeks. So it's it's kind of a weird, tenuous balance here. So I know what we're talking about is probably not exciting to some people. It's probably a downer for some folks who in a season where people I think are already kind of a little bit deflated. But that's the reality. And I think, you know, it's better to start there sort of just say, well, maybe there's a way they can thread the needle. I think being really sort of honest on the front end here is probably the best way to keep things healthy for this, you know, the guys that you're watching and for your own sanity. Well, so did you know that the, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs have the nation's seventh longest active win streak? They have won eight games in a row. They started two and three, uh, with losses to Oregon, Miami of Florida, and Providence. Uh, they beat Wake Forest and North Carolina Central. Uh, and the schedule hasn't been cupcakey. Uh, but I also find it interesting that they entered the game against Winthrop, which was their sixth game of the year, 85th in Kempom. Uh, that was the first win of their current eight-game winning streak, and they are now 86th in Ken Palm. So I think you could say that they have basically played uh, and beaten the teams that they were supposed to beat uh, based upon what Ken Palm sort of thinks that this team uh, is and will be. They're 86th uh, currently. Um, they are projected three-point loss to Missouri on Saturday. Yeah, I their best win in that run, quite honestly, might be coming back against High Point. High Point's looking like a team that that's going to be a pretty feisty mid-major. You know, Florida State is clearly stuck in a lull. Georgia Tech's going through year one of a rebuild under Damon Stoudemire. You know, Winthrop is a team that can be pretty feisty in the early. I think they're still in the Big South, but not the same as they were when Pat Kelsey was there a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, Mercer, I mean, not Mercer, but high points looking like a pretty, pretty feisty little group. And, you know, they trailed for long stretches of that game. I think they were down midway through the second. If I watched part of that game and they fought back and they, and they got a good quality win there. I think I've Georgia's seen them play. I think I've watched a, about half of uh, one half against Oregon, a little bit of the Florida state game. And then I did tune in for a little bit of the Providence game. They were good against Wake. That they they fought back. I think they were down by eight or nine against Wake and fought back and got a good win. Miami was a buzzsaw uh, in the Bahamas at Bahamar. Uh, Providence was closer than I think people expected. That Providence got some separation late, I think. But this is a group. You know, we we love to make light of Mike White. I don't think we'll ever tire of making light of Mike White. Um, that's that's part of our gag here if we have any of them part of our shtick but if you said to me they're gonna go 17 14 7 11 in year two i'd say that's that i can't mock that like they've they're doing what they need to do there they're trying to establish some competence you know they've got a freshman in silas to marry who's I would also like to say for the record, like I don't think any of us think that Mike White is a bad basketball coach. We just don't think that he's going to be a future elite a guy that... Yeah, like he's a good basketball coach. He's just not... At least he's not proven that he's an elite basketball coach. Correct. But, you know, they're getting, you know, Silas Demery. He's not been the most efficient guy, but they're getting a freshman who they're going to need in future years a lot of minutes. You know, they're getting, you know, a guy like Blue Kane kind of in, integrated a little bit who they're going to need in future years. Uh, Dylan James, not so much, but, you know, they're, they've managed, I think, for them to find a balance between like a guy like RJ Melendez getting a reboot. You know, a guy like Noah Thomason, who was a solid low major player coming in and being a regular contributor for him. I think they're doing what they needed to do, which was, elevate the level of competence a little bit. They've got Asa Newell coming next year, you know, who's going to be a big, big piece for them. If Mike White can put together, you know, another solid recruiting class and maybe a little help from the portal, they could be kind of sneaky next year. Um, 
I think what will be interesting for them right now is, you know, their defense is clearly ahead of their offense. I'm, you know, I would say from having watched them, you know, I think they guard at a high enough level that they can give Missouri some fits. Missouri's not operating at a really consistent level. I'm not sure Georgia is. I think it's going to be the team that can get the most traction offensively. I think the best player on the floor will probably be John East. And to your point earlier, this would be a great game for Tamar Bates to really show that he's putting together a run of good games for them. Noah Carter looked like he was, you know, figuring a few things out. He's still not shooting the ball really well from the perimeter, but if he can start to put some things together, I think Missouri's got enough that it can stitch together more offense than Georgia and it can get a home win. But that's, you know, I don't feel confident enough given what we've seen from this offense so far to, to feel like I would say this is more than a toss up for them, but it's one they got to They had to find a way to keep in their column. And Noah Carter's still rebounding really well. Yep. For, for all of his, uh, his struggle shooting the ball. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's still got a 22% defensive rebound rate, which, uh, that is nationally ranked, um, you know, and it does seem like he's often getting uh, a, a good collection of rebounds, you know, regardless yeah. of how many minutes he's playing. Um, hey, Missouri's up to 91st in Kempom. As we he, live and breathe right here. One celebrate. Spot. One this is, spot this is bump. How, this while is how the resurrection live. begins. The stone is being <laughs> rolled away. It's, it's happening right now. I... I was going to ask, I mean, are you, what's sort of your temperature check here? I know we talked before about this team and sort of, you know, how we're just feeling, I think, in macro. But I'm just sort of curious, you know, what your thoughts are at this point. You know, we're into non-con. I sort of think they're doing what they're doing under the circumstances, but I didn't know how, you, how you're sort of feeling yeah, writ large. I, I, you know, I feel like writing, um, writing study hall after every game, you know, and – for several of the games, I've given myself a little bit more runway to, uh, before needing to publish. Part of that has been aided by the fact that uh, Missouri football has been doing um, good things. Um, and so there hasn't been as much attention on on hoops, which I think, I, you know, I think keeps people generally happier. Um, you know, and it keeps me happier. I, I like it when... Mizzou football is good. I like it when Mizzou basketball is good. Uh, and Mizzou basketball isn't isn't bad. Um, I think we're all a little bit disappointed by how the start of the season's gone. You know, but I really kind of feel like what happened last year is really rare. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of people out there that get the impression that you can come in, you can go into the portal and you can solve everything. everything. And for the most part, every new hire that, that, you know, was put into place last year struggled except for a few. Um, and you know, the few were, right. Like the few were talked about a lot, you know, like, you know, Jerome Tang obviously was another one, uh, you know, Dennis Gates and, and I think like what I'm really hoping that this does, uh, I'm really hoping that it, it changes our approach to how we view the portal. And I think, you know, we kind of discussed this a little bit before we came on, but I, you know, I've always sort of felt that when utilized appropriately, the portal can be a really great tool and it should be, Use sparingly. If if you're building your program right, and you are are building through high school recruiting, and this really goes for uh, for college football too. Like I think the Ole Miss experience uh, or experience experiment um, for what they're doing. I don't know how much you pay attention to the college football for, portal. Uh, sometimes it's hard to miss. I know that you're a you you do follow enough people on Twitter to to kind of catch wind, but that experiment is really, really interesting to me because this is the first time that you've seen 
a team basically just go all in on a lot of high-end talent. And they're bringing in a lot of talented guys to play defense, mostly defense. Like they're, he's yeah. really trying to fix the defense. Offensively, they were fine. Um, and so, like next year, we're gonna find out if that works. Uh, I would rather be in the situation that Eli Drinkwitz is in. I realize this is a basketball podcast, but I know a lot of our fans pay attention to both. Yeah. Um, where where Drink is only needing certain positions in the portal yeah. and he's attacking those positions. And to the point where, you know, like, I don't know how much weight you give to on threes transfer portal rankings, but Missouri has the highest like per player ranking, like based on like, cause they're not taking 25 guys. They've got what, six, seven. Um, yeah. But those guys on a, Individual basis are ranked higher than even Ole Miss, Um, which I, you know, I think that that's, you know, we've talked about this a lot with basketball is like, that's where the value is. I love what Missouri has done with their, with their prep recruiting. It's been Um, awesome. And, and yeah, going back to basketball now, uh, I really, really, really like getting young players you believe in. I, I really like this 2023 class. Uh, really excited to see what the 2024 class, uh, you know, can do. And then, you know, you already have like a borderline four or five star kid, you know, and Aaron Rowe signed up for 2025. If you keep doing that, then the type of things that you should be doing in the in the transfer portal, you know, aren't you're, you shouldn't be com- coming in, you know, with guys who you expect to take over. Uh, all these possessions, you know, you want to fix here, you want a, a patch there, you know, but the, the biggest key why Missouri was good last year was Kobe Brown. Who had who developed, had, who started developing under the previous guy that everyone maligned. Right. Like, like the one thing, like we all knew, you know, Kobe's junior year, we all knew that he could, he could pass, he could dribble, he couldn't shoot. It didn't make sense why he couldn't shoot. He was a good free throw shooter. He was a good mid-range shooter. He just never made threes. Um, I don't want to say never. We'll give him his 28% credit. But the real reason why Missouri was so good last year is is Kobe Brown. Like, Kobe Brown went from a guy who was a really good player to a first-round NBA draft pick. And so... That development started early and continued on. Dennis Gates kind of capped it off. Uh, and and that coupled with, uh, you know, being able to put a really good shooter. I don't think who he developed who, who Dennis Gates took from Juco <laughs> and right. developed. Yeah, like Dennis Gates had, you know, for, for three years, um, you know, and, and, you know, Nick Honor being – a point guard who was not going to turn the ball over. Uh, you know, they didn't get everybody that, that they wanted out of the portal, but they had they had a low turnover rate. They shot a high volume of threes, and they made a high volume of threes, a high percentage of threes on on that volume. Um, when you sort of blend all that together, it makes sense why they had a good year. So, kind of going back to your original point, I you know I'll I'll stop talking here in a second. I'll let you finish off if you want. Um, I really think that regardless of what happens the rest of the year, they need to really, really buy in with what they've already got on the roster and what's coming in. Yeah. I'd make this point. Jerome Tang's crew started the year at 25th in Kimpom. They're currently 74th. Mizzou and Kansas State the two darlings with first year coaches have sank about the same number of places in Kimpom over the non-conference play. You know, they've both taken losses by, you know, two double digit losses to teams that are probably going to contend for the NCAA tournament beyond the bubble. And they have a close loss, you know, by less than single digits. So like their profiles, you know, K-State started higher and they've played a little bit better. But you can see a it does, lot. Uh, it does help being in the Big Twelve, by the way. It, it does help being in the Big Twelve. 
But like Kansas doesn't have, you know, Naquan Tomlin. Missouri's never had John Tanji. They've had injury issues at certain times in K State. Missouri's had injury issues. Like I think that's you can see a lot of parallels between those two coaches and what they've had to do in year two. And the question again is going to be, do you believe that Jerome Tang can recruit enough quality guys in the high school ranks to build a long-term stable core? Cause that's what Baylor did. Baylor went to the transfer portal, but Baylor would go take developmental dudes out of the transfer portal and plug them in. It's realistically right now. I think I'll even look up Xavier. Xavier has, I think sitting at 43rd right now. So Xavier stabilized a little bit. They're seven and six, but again, they're playing in the big East, but Xavier has lost to number two, Purdue, number 48, Wisconsin, number 136, Oakland, number one, Houston, number 140, Delaware, number 42, St. John's. They are seven and six right now and probably toward the back into the bubble. It, and they were a team that again, kind of tried to, go to Europe, try to go to the portal and try to do some things really quickly. Arkansas is a team that's dropped 40 or 50 spots in Kimpom and, you know, must is supposedly the master of the portal. But I think even seeing must struggle tells you that there is high variance with that strategy and moving into the spring, you know, I think what we're going to see is, and what's going to be interesting to monitor is what types of guys are they targeting in the portal? Like they need to get older. I agree with that. I don't think you can go in with nine underclassmen as part of your core. I think you do need some right. seasoning there. You know, Tamar Bates can't be the only vet with real experience. But are you going to get, you know, a point guard that can, you know, be a backstop for Ant Robinson as he starts and takes on his first season as the main guy? Are you going to get a four-man you know, who is really in there to help you just be a connector on offense. If he's a guy who's only getting 15 to 18% usage and is cool with that, but can run your stuff, can run your Princeton based stuff, get the ball where it needs to go, move it, set guys up. Are you finding that guy or are you trying to go find a guy that you could see a similar image to Kobe Brown? Are you getting a wing that's a floor spacer? that can come in and knock down shots, keep the flow open so your young guys can have some operating room? Or are you looking for a bucket getter? Like, I think there's a, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Are they looking to go get guys that can fill in and play very specific roles and can help this, you know, young group sort of, you know, make some really suitable progress, you know, and make a tournament as opposed to we're going to get three dudes who are going to be our key cogs and, you know, tell the freshman, Hey, we know we recruited you on this idea that you're going to come in and, you know, maybe have some some you know room to grow. No, we've changed that. I think that's going to be the the thing that we sort of monitor going into the spring as well is how much do they start relying on the 23 guys, and then who do they target in the portal? I, I think that that's really interesting to me. We'll talk about the postseason if they play well enough to position themselves for it. I think what you're starting which you could start to see that's going to be worth monitoring. It's not as exciting as how do they start positioning some of these guys that have shown flashes that are, have long-term upside. How do they start positioning them to become a core that we look at in like 25 or 26 and go, this is a team that has final four aspirations. This is when you start making developmental decisions around that, you know, and, and that's no less important than, you know, whether or not you can put yourself on the bubble or what your seating position is there. I think there's still some long-term things that are going to give us, you know, some that should keep your interest and keep your eye on how this team performs down the stretch. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, if the goal is to be um, always an NCAA tournament team, or at least in the conversation for an NCAA tournament team, or to be the kind of team and, and program that builds towards, competing for national championships um, or just a uh, national championship a final four appearance. I mean, we're Mizzou fans. So we're like, yeah, just, I, I would love to see a final four. Yeah. Like, <laughs> could we just start there? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah. So I think like, you're right that. We, and we'll analyze it as it comes, but you know, like the, the, the games here, the rest of the way, 
are worth monitoring for kind of, you know, what this individual team can do and what the second season of Dennis Gates era is going to mean, um, you know, but I think hopefully what, what you're really hoping for is that, you know, like two, three years down the road, we're looking at, you know, this current spring as, as kind of being the linchpin for why the team has gotten to the, the stage it is, is, um, you know, because they were able to develop that core. They were able yeah. to, um, you know, sustain I, I think sustain is probably the right word to uh, sustain the environment that, that I feel like they've built around the program. Um, you know, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see them stay out of the Wednesday playing game. Uh, you know, like what happens postseason? Um, I just, I'd like to see this team be competitive kind of the rest of the way out. Yeah. If they could get to eight and 10, nine and nine, I'd feel like under the circumstances of what happened to them, with Grill going down and Tanji, you know, not being the kind of presence that we thought he would be, that just hitting the preseason expectations under those constraints would would qualify as a success. And I, you know, every year at the Final Four, you know, you read sort of these long takeout pieces, you know, about how this veteran core, what really defined them was, you know, they were young guys and they came in and they struggled and they took lumps and they were able to figure out what a winning attitude meant, what it meant to really, you know, struggle and what it, you know, for guys that have been mostly successful for them to actually look failure in the face and decide we're going to, you know, be better from this. I think the hard part here is the reason why we've talked about it is I think a lot of people have thought the portal could be a way to sort of avoid doing the really hard things. Uh, And that's not to say the portal's, immaterial and it's unimportant but it's fascinating it's fascinating and it's exciting and it's and it's waiver wire stuff but like i said before we came on go look at this number for you know teams that make the elite eight the final four and play for national titles go to their kimpom page scroll down to the bottom and look at their continuity ranking they're usually inside the top 120 top 100 it's not just they recruited well it's not just they get good dudes they build long-term sustainable cores where guys know who they are. They have an identity and that has remained the same continuity overall has dipped across the sport, but go look at teams that make deep runs in March. It's still a factor. It's still there. The team you see that second weekend that's getting ready for something exciting. that's getting ready to make that push. They've probably got five or six guys that have been together for a while. And they've just made smart additions out of the portal. That's where I think Missouri can get to. They've started to acquire the pieces through prep recruiting to build that core. They've just got to stay patient long enough. And we've got to stay patient long enough to see what they do with that. If it's year four and it's still a team that's doing what it's doing now and they've landed some top talent, then I think you ask really hard questions and you can start to be frustrated. But right now, I think they're doing... They gave us a really, really nice serotonin level in year one. But now I think they're doing the hard work. And now we've just got to see if they can you know, finish it off and put together the right pieces to get Missouri to where we think it can be. But that there's still some stakes attached to this, even if in the near term they might not seem all that tangible to us. But that's all I got. Well, that's all we both have. Um, we did go a little long, but you know, I think anytime you get – Harris and myself talking about existential uh, program <laughs> questions. It's always going to go a little longer. Um, I, and I really didn't even intend to like veer off into that direction. Cause I know that your question originally was just about this team, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about any one team without talking about, you know, the bigger, you know, picture. Uh, so we are going to dip out. Um, we are kind of getting into the meat of the, uh, the season. We are going to try to move back to, our regular schedule of, of kind of going on Monday nights. We're probably, you know, spot in a, uh, uh, a live show here and there. I just threw up a link for 573tees.com. We still have uh, t-shirts over there if you want to get them. Um, there's a, a new one, a new-ish one over there for the Cotton Bowl that, that uh, Levi worked really hard on. So so head over there, click on that link and, and, and buy the t-shirts. Uh, 
all the money that we get is is going to NIL uh, after we recover a few costs. Um, but uh, but that's it. We're out of here. Um, we'll be back next Monday. I don't know if it'll be this dude uh, or or the other Matt, but we'll have a Matt talking to a Sam, and we'll talk uh, we'll talk about what happened with Georgia. So until then, thanks everybody for tuning in, and we will be back with more Rock M Radio. Thank you everyone for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device. Just click the subscribe button below, uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.